So, excuse me while I preach a second. How many of you want to see revival in Chambersburg? Three of you? I mean, how, how many of you look around Chambersburg and say, you know what, there's a whole bunch of broken stuff here and we need the healer to come. Right? Okay, here it is. All right? This, this is a red letter, so this isn't just in the book. This is actually from the Word Himself. All right, here it is. Ready? Ready? When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. You want to know what the answer for revival is? Us lifting Him up. I mean, we just sang that. I mean, we... We get it all complicated. We figure we got to do fancy church or something. No. All we got to do is live a life that lifts him up. Where his name is on the tip of our tongue. And Jesus says, I'll take care of the rest. And you remember what in the original Greek the word all means, right? All. Meaning if us believers were lifting Jesus up, he's going to do the rest. You get tired of hearing me say this, but I, I believe this from the bottom of my heart. It, don't, it doesn't matter what question people are asking, we have, we have the answer. Ask me a question. Ask me a problem that's in the world. I'll tell you the answer. His name's Jesus. That's it. That might be my simplistic mind. I might be Simple, I mean, theologians all over the world are cringing at my simple theology there, but I don't care what the question is. His name's Jesus. And if we could get it that simple, if we could uncomplicate it that much, we'd see our world change around us, I guarantee you. All right, I'll preach now. I almost feel like I'd say amen, let's go home, but the kids have to do something downstairs for Father's Day, I think, so I'm going to wait. I heard there were, oh, I better not say. I had a sneak peek of what might be involved, Dad, so you might want to come next. Come, is it next week? Two weeks. Two weeks? Should be Father's Day every day of the year, shouldn't it? All right, so another sermon on oneness. Oh, there's notes here. Does any, uh, no, not many got, because, so can we, make sure whoever wants notes. So last week we talked about spiritual gifts, and we talked about how spiritual gifts are part of God's plan for oneness. Um, the vertical oneness that comes through spiritual gifts is the fact that they come from right? Spiritual gifts are given out by God as He sees fit, right? We also saw that spiritual gifts show us horizontal oneness, because we all are gifted in different ways, we're all part of the body, and we there's one doing its part, equal importance, building up the body. And we also see that the purpose of spiritual gifts is to build the kingdom here on earth. Do you remember the verse that, that I read the very first week when I did uh, unity versus oneness? And I talked about Jesus praying for the church, praying for his disciples. And he wanted us to be one with him so that we'd be one with each other. And in that, the world would know. And so that's kind of been my theme. And so this morning, my topic, I want to talk about vertical oneness, horizontal oneness, and that the world may know one more time. 
So I'd like to go way back in the Bible, all the way back to the beginning. Actually, to the third day is where we're going to go. Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. So this is the third day of creation, and God's out there creating a way, and it comes time for him to create plants and trees and fruit trees and vegetation. And the really cool thing is the way God set this up was that a plant would produce fruit that had seeds in it, and those seeds would go in the ground, and they would produce plants that would produce fruit that had seeds in it, and those seeds would go in the ground, and those seeds would produce plants that produce fruit. You get it? Now remember that theme. Okay, there's a theme here. All right, here's the deal. It says according to their kind. All right, apple trees produce what class? Apples. Cherry trees produce. Strawberry plants produce. Tomato plants. Tomatoes, right? Apple trees don't produce grapes, right? Apple trees grow apples with seeds in them. Those seeds produce more apple trees, which produce apples with seeds in them, and so on and so on. Now, you remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about uh, the woman planting a vineyard, Mother's Day. And you remember I told you that it takes a vineyard, when you plant a vine, it takes up to four years before you get grapes out of it. Well, what's happening during that four years of time? Well, if it's planted in good soil, if it's protected, if it has plenty of sunlight, if it's watered, if it's pruned, if it's fertilized in time, it produces fruit. Now, why am I talking all about all that? Because I think we can translate this into humans as well. Jesus spent three years with his disciples. Guess what he was doing with his disciples? He was fertilizing them. He was watering them. He was giving them good sunlight. He was pruning them at times. All right? And Jesus did all of those things. And then we get to a passage, which is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Matthew 28. Verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the day. Jesus was saying, you know what? Up until this point, I've been the one producing fruit. Guess what? Now it's your turn to produce fruit. It's time for you to produce disciples. Jesus said, go make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Just like when we go back to Genesis, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their own kinds, trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their own kinds. Same way with people. Disciples are designed to produce disciples. You guys get this? kind of neat that God set it up in the plant and animal world and he created humans and then Jesus comes along and says look you're going to do the same thing I've invested into you now you invest into others and we'll create more disciples something else I want to go on with this 
with this plant thing is how many seeds are in an apple? A bunch, right? But in reality, if you think far enough ahead, you can't count the number. You think, well, I can cut an apple open and I can count the seeds. But in reality, how many of those, if I plant those seeds, how many apples are in those seeds? Who knows how many, right? I mean, it could be tree after tree after apple after apple. Who, who knows how many apples are actually in an apple seed? Now go with me on this. Think about the guy who led Billy Graham to Christ. How many disciples did that guy see in Billy Graham? Who knows? He was just leading them to Jesus. But over the years, how many tens of thousands, probably I would even guess millions if you go out far enough, have become disciples because of Billy Graham? How many seeds are in an apple? Who knows? How many disciples are in a disciple? It can be countless. Who knows how many? Who knows how many? So, what does a disciple look like? So last week we talked about spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. How they demonstrate oneness with God, oneness with each other, and are a witness and a testimony to the world. This morning, I'd like us to talk about another aspect of our interaction with the Holy Spirit. And in my opinion, this can speak even louder than spiritual gifts in the world around us. There's something that really sticks out to me. Galatians 5 talks about fruits of the Spirit. Here's why I think fruits of the Spirit are so incredibly important. Paul using the word fruit, I think, is really telling here. Okay? I know you get tired of me using this example, but I'm going to use it again, right? So, fruit is a natural outcome. Okay? Apple comes from an apple tree. No matter how many times I plant an apple seed, I won't get a peach tree to grow. Right? I'll always get an apple tree. Okay, here's where you get tired of hearing me say this, but I'm going to ask it again because it's a really good point. How hard does an apple tree work to grow an apple? Have you ever gone for a walk in an orchard? How many of you have ever gone for a walk in an orchard? Do you hear the apple trees going, going to make an apple? Nope. If an apple tree is in good fertile ground, has plenty of water, has sunshine, guess what it's going to produce? Every time. Right? Now we've got to remember that picture. And here's why. Let's look at humans. John chapter 15 and verse 5 says this, I am the vine. This is Jesus talking. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit, he's saying that those who are connected to the Jesus vine produce fruit. We just do. We can't fake it. We can't stop it. When we're connected to Jesus, this is what we will produce. You got it? 
This is really important to me. This is why I think the fruits of the Spirit are a really good gauge of seeing a, a person's connection to the Jesus vine. Because they happen when we're connected. It's a natural outcome. This is what we do produce. Now it's interesting, right before Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit, <laughs> he tells us what happens when we're connected to a vine other than Jesus. So, Galatians five nineteen to 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. How many of us have seen a little bit of that in our world recently? You see, there are other vines that produce other fruit. How many of you have ever bit into a, a bad piece of fruit? Right? So, so we had strawberries the other day. So Sandy's eating these strawberries. Mm, they're good. It's good. All of a sudden she's going, like coming over to the sink and spitting it out. You know, it looked kind of good on the outside, but it was awful. It's kind of rotten on the inside. Right? There are other vines in our world. And people connect to them pretty quickly. And pretty easily sometimes. It's important that we are connected to the right vine, folks. It's important that we are connected to the right vine. So, a disciple who is connected to a Jesus vine. What will we look like? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Wow. Now that's a different list than what we just read. How about it? That's a different set of fruits. How many of you like to hang out with this person? <laughs> right? Yeah. Paul is saying, you know what? Here's what a disciple of Jesus ought to look like. Here's the fruit that ought to be hanging on the vines. Something that should be automatically growing on a Jesus vine. So let's look at these. I'm going to break them down a little bit. So this first one, love. It's kind of interesting that it always comes back to love, doesn't it? When we, when we looked at the spiritual gifts, it came back to love, right? Same way with the fruits. Paul's starting out with love. And it's interesting that he uses the word, this is agape, love. Now, this isn't like, um, I really, 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 really love the Orioles. I really, really, really love chocolate. This agape love is an unconditional love. It's a love that, that will stand up to anything, it's a love that says, I'm going to be there through thick and thin. I don't care who you are or where you've been. I love you. It's that kind of love. It's the strongest and most permanent kind of love that's in the Bible. Agape love. Cannot be questioned. It's the kind of love that's referred to in 1 John when it says, God is love. It's God is agape. God is unconditional love. So the fruit of a disciple being love, being listed first is very important here. Love has, is, and always will be the most important ingredient, the most important fruit. And here's the deal. I think agape love sets us apart in the world. Because the world's all, you know, all you need is love, right? All you need is love. 
They, that's all you need. You just, we just need to love each other more. The problem is the love that we talk about in those cases most times is conditional love. It's, I'll love you if you believe what I believe. I'll love you if you do what I want you to do. I'll love you if you behave a certain way. Right? That's not agape love. <laughs> agape, agape love says I love you. Put a period at the end of that sentence. So agape love, fruit of the Spirit. Joy is the next one. Webster describes joy as great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. How many of you have ever experienced something exceptionally good and satisfying? Some of y'all need to get out more. I will never forget, I'm going to embarrass Ben, but I'll never forget the first day the day he was born. So he was born in the morning, and when I went for lunch that day, I kid you not, the sky was bluer, the clouds were fluffier, the sun was brighter, my wife's smile was prettier. I mean, I don't know what it was, but something amazing and good had happened to me that morning. My son was born to me. Joy filled my heart. How many of us seek joy in the wrong places? The wrong sources. The problem is when we seek joy in those wrong places, we connect up to that vine that we don't want to be connected to, and it winds up hurting us in the long run. It winds up in sorrow instead of joy. If we look at Nehemiah 8 and verse 10, we see this. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah is telling the people of Israel, it doesn't matter what's going on in their lives. At this point in time, we are going to rejoice. The nation of Israel had been in mourning here. They had just returned from exile. The walls of Jerusalem were in ruin. But I think Nehemiah was saying, don't look at your circumstances. Your circumstances don't, don't equal your joy. They don't come. You know, I heard it, someone say one time, they said to somebody, how's it going? And they go, pretty good under the circumstances. And he was like, what are you doing under your circumstances? <laughs> Aren't they kind of heavy? Right? But there are times, I think, when we let our circumstances just totally affect the joy that's in our life. We have to understand that joy that comes from God is unaffected by circumstances. See, joy isn't bouncing around being a happy person. It's not. Joy is something deep within us that only comes from God. Something that cannot be rocked. True joy comes from God. Nehemiah was reminding these people, yes, they had reason to mourn, right? They could have mourned. The walls of Jerusalem were all torn apart. Yes, they had reason to be joyful because they were out of exile. Nehemiah was saying, neither of those matter. (laughs) The joy of the Lord is your strength, not the joy of your circumstances. The joy of the Lord is is your strength. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good.
I tell people this all the time. Try God. Taste and see. I promise you, if you earnestly seek Him with your heart, He will not disappoint. God's not hiding somewhere, hoping you don't find out everything about Him. right? He's got no skeletons in the closet. God's saying, come. Seek me. Here I am. And I promise you, when you find me, when you experience me, you will love what you find. And it will change your life. Taste and see. You'll know that He's truly good. Peace. Peace is the next one. Once again, we we find something here I think that we search for in many sources. We go after peace in so many different areas of our lives, but in, in all honesty, peace can be temporary. And it can be fleeting. And it can be hard to find. So I go back to, to the vertical oneness again. All right, In Philippians, Paul talks about peace that, that defies our understanding. Well, we see this story in Matthew where Jesus is with His disciples in, in chapter 8, 23-27. Then He got into the boat. This is Jesus. And His disciples followed Him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. (laughs) What kind of man is this? How can the disciples were saying, How can it possibly be? The peace that Paul talks about is the peace that the disciples experienced in this story. A peace that you can't even understand. How many of you have ever been out on a windy day? How many of you have ever said, stop, to the wind? (laughs) Some of us probably have, right? I mean, the disciples have been hanging out with Jesus for a good while, right? And they're out there getting blown around in this storm, and they're looking at each other going, what is he doing? Doesn't he see we're going to drown here? He's sleeping. Jesus, how many of you ever like yelled at your kids when they're, knock it off? <laughs> you know, I almost picture Jesus getting up, knock it off. And <laughs> went in the ways, we're done. Who can do that? Jesus can. Here's how, here's how I take peace. In the disciples' case in this story, they were looking at the world around them, and they were going, if Jesus doesn't do something, we're dead. We're going to die here. What did they do? They said, Jesus, you're our only hope. (laughs) How often do I think Steve might be part of my hope? Right? Stuff's going on, and I think Steve can probably handle some of it. Right? How much peace is in that? Peace comes when we say, God, if you don't show up, this ain't going to happen. You need to show up and do the God things or, or I'm in trouble here because I got nothing. That's what peace is. Sometimes I try to fool myself into thinking I'm pretty strong. You know? But think about it. Jeff, do you seriously want your strength taking care of your problems or do you want Jesus' strength taking care of your problems? 
I mean, that's the question I had to start asking myself. Do I really want to take care of my own problems, or would I rather the King of Kings take care of my problems? And see, when we hand it over to him, when we say, Jesus, this has to be you or it's going to be nothing, there's a peace that comes over us because we know it's no longer in our hands. It's in Jesus' hands. I mean, I could go on and on here. (laughs) Right? I, I believe in the Big Bang Theory, right? God said, let there be light, and bang, there was light. How much power is in that? Right? I'd rather him be taking care of me than me taking care of me. And in that comes peace. In that comes total peace. Supernatural peace. A peace that swept over the disciples. A peace that will sweep over you. Fruit of the Spirit being peace. The next one. I forget what it said in, in the version you put up there. Is it forbearance? That's a big word. Patience. Long-suffering. All right? Reach over to your neighbor and poke him. Again. And again. Oh, and again. And again. Uh, some of you aren't playing along. Come on. Right? So how long would it take until that annoyed you? <laughs> now. <laughs> right? Have you ever been around somebody that just pokes you the wrong way? <laughs> Every time you get around them. Right? Come on. Those of you who are saying no are lying to me. <laughs> what do we do when we get around people that irritate us? We avoid them. Right? We, we, don't, we don't get together with them. We stay on the other side of the room. We ignore them. Right? We try not to interact with them. Colossians 3.13 says this. Bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone... If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oh, man, you had to bring that up. (laughs) Doesn't just say forgive. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Just like husbands loving your wives. That's cool. I could leave it there. As Christ loved the church. Oh, there you go. Got to give up my life for her, right? I got to forgive like God forgave me. Wow. Wow. And that is, bear with each other. The implication is that that's somebody that's bugging you. Somebody that's poking you the wrong way every time you see them. Somebody that's irritating you. Bear with them. Forgive them just like Christ forgave you. Patience, long-suffering, means you love the unlovable. You love them anyways. Grace and mercy, even to those who don't deserve it. Kindness. Kindness is, the definition is friendly, generous, and considerate. Some people are friendly, aren't they? We all know friendly people. They're great to be around. Easy to spend time with. Some people are generous. I think that's a great compliment when someone says that person there is generous. Generous with their time, generous with their their heart, generous with their uh, resources, always giving, always serving. Some people are considerate. They put people ahead of themselves. How many of you would love to have friends who are friendly, generous, and considerate? How about all three of them at the same time? Wouldn't that be an awesome person to be around? Well, here's the deal. In our own grit, will, and determination, 
it's difficult to be all of those things. That's why this is a fruit of the Spirit. The closer I get to God, the more the Holy Spirit has control over my life, the more this shows up. I'm going somewhere with this, so stay with me. Goodness is the next one. I think this word can be misinterpreted sometimes. There are a number of words in the original language of the Bible that translate into the English word good. In this case, it doesn't mean being good or being nice or being caring. The original Greek word here actually means moral excellence, meaning I live a holy life. I have virtue. I make the right choices each time. I don't pay evil for evil. Now, how many of you get that right all the time? (laughs) Right? This is a hard one. Can you imagine if we had to do this on our own? See, understand here, we're we're talking about vertical oneness here right now. Okay? Vertical oneness. I don't know of anybody that can live up to this, make the right choices each and every time, all day, every day. On my own. When I'm one with Him, I can. We find this word uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3.19. It says, Do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to you... To this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Blessing. Goodness is choosing to do the right thing regardless of how we feel. Not an easy thing. But when we have goodness coming from a source other than our own, we can have the fruit of goodness. Faithfulness. We're almost there. Faithfulness. Maintaining allegiance. Constant. Loyal. The act of being faithful. Doing what you say you're going to do. Being known as someone that people can trust and are reliable. How many of you have people in your life that you consider to be faithful? Someone that you can count on. How powerful is it to have people in your life that you know when the chips are down, they can be counted on. There for you. They'll take arrows for you. They'll protect you. They'll stand with you. They'll fight for you. They'll fight with you. Again, not an easy thing in our humanness. But as a fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness is possible. Gentleness. Two more. Gentleness. The definition of gentleness is being moderate, kind, in the absence of harshness. In 1 Thessalonians 2.7, Paul uses this word. And here's how he uses it. The way a mother takes care of a child. Have you ever seen a mom with a newborn? That's this word, gentleness. She feeds it, she washes it, she protects it, she nurtures it, she holds it gently, she teaches it, she comforts it. That's this word, gentleness. Gentleness shows up as a gift of the Spirit. The last one, self-control. Temperance. Moderation. Self-restraint in action. How many of us could use a little more self-control? Yeah. See, I'm one of those guys that, that doesn't do good with the self-control thing, or I haven't in the past. I'm, I'm getting better. I, I often describe my life as this. 
<laughs> right? How many of you can, I'm really high, really low, really high. Just, if I'm, if I'm really low, give me about 10 minutes. I'll be back high again, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Sandy's more, you know, a little slower and <laughs> that kind of thing. So self-control can be tough for some of us, right? It can be hard. But self-control says, you know what? I'll make the right choices no matter who's looking or not. Self-control says I'm going to say yes when I mean yes and no when I mean no. How many of you have ever said no or said yes when you wanted to say no? Right? Hey, will you come help me do such and such? Sure. (laughs) Right? We do it all the time. Self-control says when I want to say yes, I say yes. When I want to say no, I say no. Sometimes it's described as integrity. How you act when nobody's looking. So the fruits of the Spirit are vertical oneness. And the way they play out in our lives is horizontal oneness. And the last thing that I want to make, make here is that the world may know. That the world may know is the third point of my oneness theme here. One of the most important things we need to remember is the world that doesn't know Jesus may or may not be attracted to his message. They may or may not be attracted to a fancy church building or the kind of music we do or somebody speaking in tongues or that the pastor preaches in blue jeans. They may or may not be attracted to that. Who knows? But I guarantee you, they will be attracted to our relationship with Jesus. Because when we're connected to the Jesus vine, the fruits of the Spirit show up in our life. And when you read those fruits of the Spirit, who wouldn't want to be around people like that? We stick out in the world. I'm really big on not conforming, folks. I don't want to look like the world. I want to look like Jesus. And I think in our society, Jesus sticks out. Back to the, my sermon before my sermon. When I lift up Jesus, he draws him to himself. When I look like Jesus, I attract him. And then all I got to do is say, His name's Jesus. Here he is. The closer our walk with God, the more fruit we bear. The more fruit we bear, the more we stick out. The more fruit we bear, the more attractive we are. The more people want to know us, be around us, be associated with us. Not because I'm something special, but because he is. Fruits of the Spirit. Vertical oneness. Horizontal oneness that the world may know. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we would be a church that's full of your fruit. And Lord, may I even go so far as to say, I pray that we would be the kind of fruit that Chambersburg needs. That you would grow on us the specific fruit that our neighborhoods our co-workers, our family members need. And that we would be open to the process, hungry to be connected to the vine. Father God, grow your fruit on me. Grow your fruit on us. And where it's not growing well, show us places that need to be pruned. Show us places that need to be fertilized or watered. Lord, we submit to the gardener. Have your way with us. 
that the world may know. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday.